how would you like to start this off? Honestly, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. Um, okay. But I feel like if there is, we're probably going to do it wrong. For sure. It's not like we only listen to enough of these to know what to do. However, I will say we will start with... Um, Our names? We, yeah. Mm-hmm. You forgot your name? Well, I was mm-hmm. going to say... What's your name? My name's Hannah. Oh, great. I'm Malia, and we're here to tell you um, pretty much useless information about books that are fake. Well, no, the books are real. The physical books are real. Are they real. fiction or nonfiction? They are absolutely fiction. I still get confused. I'm 27 years old. Sometimes I still question which one is which. I feel like I'm not alone. I'm going to assume you mean fiction and nonfiction versus, like, reality and the book you're reading. (laughs) Because one means you have some mental problems Mm -hmm. we should address Mm -hmm. with a therapist, not with me. No, no, no. I I just get confused sometimes where I'm like, is that fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction because it's it's non-fun. Yeah, but, like, you have to think about it sometimes. It's just, like, simple math where you're like, I've, I've escalated so far beyond fiction and nonfiction, or like two plus two, that sometimes I've cleared that information out of my brain. It's been tucked into a zipped folder. Either way, a great way to remember it, because I just made this up in my whole brain, is one, fiction is for fun, because reality is not fun, but fantasy fiction is. And nonfiction means it's non-fun, real facts about real world. Okay. That's helpful. Just made it up, so you can feel free to use that one. That's helpful. Thank you. Welcome. So our podcast is going to be about fiction. Fiction for sure, with a high, high, high focus on fantasy fiction Yes. because it's the most fun. Yeah. Uh, We both were children that grew up in the Harry Potter era, so... Absolutely. It shaped our childhood. Yep. I used to say, oh my god, I was born at the same time as Harry Potter. He was nine days, nine days older than me. He's a Leo. Don't worry. Wow. Wow. Well, spoiler alert. In the first book we talked about, there's a weird Harry Potter similarity that I found that I don't... Get out. I don't know. I don't think it... I don't know. Okay. We'll wait till we get there. Yep. We are starting this podcast because we have a great love for fantasy, fiction, sci-fi, it's in the same genre. You can't really separate them. It's literally called fantasy sci-fi in the bookstore. Um, we're going to be focusing on one author specifically for the majority, if not all, of this podcast. It really depends it's on It's going to take us go. a while to get through her, so yeah. I feel like... We've got a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, so, Sarah J. Mass. Moss? I don't know. Mm. So, we maybe we'll just switch up. I want some math. Moss. And then maybe I'll throw a, like a New York upstate accent on it. I want the math. Wait, what is that? What? Where is that from? I don't know. Well, where is she from? Maybe that'll help. She's from... Mm. <laughs> Would you like a bunch of fun facts about Sarah J. Mass? Moss? Moss. Do you want to know Moss about Moss or Mass about Mass? I do. Tell <laughs> me. <laughs> um, so we'll just give you a quick highlight of who she is because I made some very quick notes. It is worth mentioning that Hannah is much more... Um, studious and school savvy and I like school Mm -hmm. I like the structure of school and I did not thrive in that arena and my notes are (laughs) 
they're bullets more than like long written. So, <clears throat> Sarah J. Mass, thirty six years old, Pisces. Hey, I'm a Pisces. I know. When is her birthday? March fifth. Oh wait, I wrote it down. Hang on. Where? March fifth. She's a Pisces. Interesting. All my close <laughs> people are either Pisces, Sagittarius, or Cancer. Crazy. Note, I only have like five friends, so it's really not that crazy target to hit. <laughs> that is <laughs> verbatim what I wrote about her birth. So she just turned 36 and just had a, a baby. The year is 2022, if anyone's re- listening to this like in, in the future. In the future. Which I guess. It will all be in the future because we're recording in the present and our current audience are animals. Is it sad that I went to like aliens in space and it really just fit? So she's 36, which is astounding um, that she's written as much as she has. She has written three major series at this point, A Throne of Glass, Mm -hmm. which is her very first series and there are, fuck, I didn't write this one down, there's seven books in the series. Which is the Assassin's Blade. Assassin's Blade is the prelogue. So, Throne of Glass, second series, A Court of Thorn and Roses, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know if that's actually the name of the series, because they all start with a court, so I'm just calling it a court series, but not like legal. Well, even on the back of the book, it says the Court of Thorn and Roses series. Okay, great. Glad we have these for reference, because I just started writing things, and I was like, hmm, now I wonder. Um, Shh... Yeah, it is called Court of Thorn and Roses, Crescent City series, and Throne of Glass series. I also did write, she's got a fine-ass husband, but don't worry, Sarah. I'm not trying to steal him, just noting that he is physically attractive, and obviously we see where you got your inspiration for Reese. Uh, spoiler alert. It's oh, character. Okay. Reese Sand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, her and her husband um, met first day of freshman year in college. Isn't that so cute? Um, she started by writing fan fiction. I did hear that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that. you told me that. I'm gonna be I honest. I think a lot of, a lot. I mean, isn't that what Fifty Shades of Grey was? Yeah, fan fiction. <laughs> I feel really like was. a lot of good authors, because yeah. it gives you a you already have a world built, and it gives you a way to just sort of elaborate. All all facts. Um, she absolutely branched out. She's a great writer. She's very 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 skilled at world building she is um and that is why we absolutely chose to talk about all the books she's written in the first place um while we are starting with her second series um she does have a third series that's currently out and still in publication um but a quarter of thorn and roses is a good middle ground to start um for reasons later to be discussed. She's won a ton of awards for in like the last four years. She's gotten best young adult sci-fi. Um, she's gotten best of the best for Kingdom of Ash, which is funny. I really wrote, I was like, that's funny because it was the worst one. I hated and, that book. Exactly. That's why I was like, people obviously are fucking I mean, hate the strong. It's just not the best one in that series. No. Uh, she also has got, a, I quote myself, a fuck ton of accolades. <laughs> from places like Book Riot, Bustle, BuzzFeed, Cosmo, Business Insider, The Independent, Culture, obviously us. Uh, we are the most important. Um, most qualified. And then the last thing was, it is also confirmed, which is 
also a great reason to start with this. 100% confirmed that A Court of Thorn and Roses series will be a Hulu oh, series. Oh, oh, it is currently, it is still ongoing, which is the plot twist for myself. And it is currently being adapted into a Hulu show that she is also writing with the same writer. Do you know this? No. <gasps> She's writing it with Outlander writer. Get out of town. Get out of town. That means you know it's going to be good. There's going to be boobies. Oh my God. That means the steam... I'm glad it's not a Netflix show because Netflix cuts out the steamy scenes in the worst way. And like that's what we live for in these books. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I really wrote... Well, that's good. Thanks oh. for putting all that together. You know, I also like to say she is a hot nerd, which I appreciate. She's gorgeous. She, Look at those cheekbones. I mean, so photogenic. She wears a lot of red lipstick and it looks great. As we sit here in hoodies. Yeah. I think I showered yesterday, but I'm not sure. We're going to start with A Court of Thorn and Roses. It looks like this. If you're watching this on video, you can see. If you're not and you're listening, if you do hear weird sounds, there are three cats and a dog in this house. So um, it's fine. They're very talkative sometimes. But um, the first book is, it's like this nice little orangey coral color with yellow text. It's, it's a quick read, I would say. Well, I can't say that. I read pretty fast. But it's like 400 pages. Not too bad. It's not. But it's about a girl, 19 years old, who, uh, she's a human girl, and she kills a wolf. In the woods, and that's sort of like where her hero journey starts. That's her enticing incident that uh, launches her into this new life that is above the wall. So I guess you just want to go through this chapter by chapter and talk about what we think about each chapter, and maybe... uh, There will be spoiler alerts in this, so don't... If you have not read the book and and you don't want to know what's going to happen, then this probably isn't for you. But maybe come back after you've read it, or read it along with us, oh. and and we'll uh, we'll talk about it together. Yeah, I think it's good to note that we are gonna, even though we have read all of the series, we actually did decide to go back to the beginning of each series, starting with Corner of Thorn and Roses, uh, and read it from start to finish, mm-hmm. so we could re-experience it. Yeah, while we do have perspective, so we are. It's nice. You forget a lot of stuff that happens in the beginning because you're already so tied to the end. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a lot of fun stuff that, that's layered in the beginning. That, oh, yeah. That, Which, yeah. if you've read Throne of Glass, Sarah J. Moss is a writer. She had this really specific um, style of writing for eight books. So mm-hmm. we read those at the beginning of the pandemic pretty much. And yeah. what she did, I like that to call... That was pandemic, wow. Mm-hmm. That's why we got through them so fast. <laughs> Probably, I mean, there's so many. Um, I like to call it the slingshot uh, form, mm. where she would do this thing where she wrote these, obviously like Harry Potter, the books get thicker as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and there would be all this like, I mean... It's just build. She's pulling and pulling and pulling yeah. and no, she creating does it, yeah. all this tension in the slingshot. I'm assuming that's where you're going. That is. And you know what? I like she does it in this series too. Oh, yeah. It's this, this uh, the third series that blows, like throws on me. But she still slingshots you in that series just in a completely different way. 
I'm gonna call that something different. I'm gonna call it. Okay. Well, I want to come up with a different thing. We'll get but in there. this one, it's called we'll get there in probably like forty episodes. Yeah. She does this thing where at the very like this the start of the book, like three fourths of every book she writes, it's just like Build. it's slow and it, it is a snowball effect. It's slow, 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 and then at the end of it, it's like a fire hose of all the the loops that she's closing and all the the stuff from the beginning chapters that she's tying back into which is the same as closing mm-hmm. loops whatever um it's just you get all like the high anticipation all yeah, comes it's, in it's a building flood. and building and building and she does it in her character arcs too like yeah, the character does. relationship she builds and builds and builds and then it comes to a head almost at the end obviously it still leaves you on a cliffhanger because it's a series but mm-hmm. like it it does that like she's very good at giving you all this information and you're like why the fuck do i need to know that yeah, it I seems asinine at first. Yeah, it's like, but a lot of it is, I would say most of it has a purpose for guiding where the story goes. Maybe not even in the first book, but in the third book, per se. Um, so, yeah. You just want to start Yeah, I would love one? to kick it off because I feel like Hannah's got a much, she said she has can, a, a themed talking point. And I just have a bunch of crazy bullet points for just my Well, I can thought. guide us through. Yeah, guide just, us on through. <sighs> just chapter one. Be our spirit guide. This is, we're starting in a place called Perithian. I almost already said the word wrong. And if I do say a word wrong, I don't care because this doesn't come with a language guide. Which is funny. I was going to say, it's funny because there was. Glass does have a language guide. Yeah, we could have used that, Sarah. It's hard to know how to say things. Um, I I would like to say I have listened to, I know you have as well, listened to these Oh, on um, Audible. Audible, yeah. 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 Um, And did you see she's releasing this series in a... With a graphic, whatever. It's like a... It has characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is fun because like it's... I'll listen... That's the thing is I'll listen to it again just because it's a whole new experience. Uh, Yeah, there's going to be hopefully men and not just some lady reading to you. In a deep voice. And then... (laughs) I mean, they do their best, but it's uncomfortable. It is a little uncomfortable. Um, So yeah, we're starting in this place called Perithian. If you have the book, uh, there's a nice little graphic in the front. And you can see that it's divided uh, by a wall. And on the bottom, in the south, there's the mortal lands. And in the top, there's the fairy lands or fairy realms. Um, And to the right, there's a big map where you can't even see all of the continent. And it just says fairy realm, mortal lands. But then to the left, we have a big island. And the wall is still there, same place. Mortal lands, very small southern tip. Um, But the, the top working our way down, there's seven different courts. The night court, the day court, the dawn court. Then there's this section in the middle of the the island called Under the Mountain, which you later find out what it is. But it's basically this like snowy mountainous range. Um, and then underneath that, there's the winter court, the autumn court, the summer court, and the spring court. Then the wall, which is surrounded by a forest, mortal lands. And then further to the left is Highburn, which is another island. island. Um, that you learn about later, but that's sort of where we're starting, which I would love. What the fuck is on the continent? <laughs> Yo, I've <laughs> been wondering so that much. so much. Like, what bad? So it's like this, this is such a tiny alert. little. It's such a tiny. Why In does my it mind, have so much this power? This is the UK, or this is England and Scotland, and this is Ireland, and this is Europe. <laughs> like if this was Earth. Yeah, like that's how I envision it. Like this is the English Channel. It's obviously not, yeah. but obviously I would set this in Europe because it's 
much more fantasy there. Yeah, but it's Sweet cute. Fantasy. Whoever does these does a good job. I love a good a good map. Yes. Um, but yeah, chapter one. I'm just gonna give you highlights. I'm not gonna like read it to you. But what yeah. I did is just summarize it the best way that I can. And in chapter one, she kills a wolf. That's basically what happens. Um, she does. She specifically, I have to keep flipping to my notes. Um, we meet Farah, a young girl. She's 19 years old. She's hunting in the woods to feed her family during winter. Uh, we know that, well, we don't know anything else yet. <laughs> I don't. We know that she's broke as fuck. Well, we just know she's in the woods hunting for her family during winter because they have no money or food. So, yeah, she's broke as fuck. My bad. You're right. We just know they're poor. She's hungry. She's out there hunting. Yeah. She's hunting. in the forest north of their cottage, bordered by the wall and the fairyland, which I just described to you. Um, she kills a wolf with a rare ash arrow. And she kills this wolf after the wolf took down a doe. A deer. A female deer. <laughs> No, I can't sing. Um, but she kill she lets the wolf take down the deer, and then she kills the wolf, so that you know two birds one stone kind of ordeal. That's exactly what she did. She let the the wolf do the hard part, and then yeah. she's like, I only. But then killing years. a wolf, she shoots it right through the eye, which you second can time. see. First time is in the side, and then second the second arrow that wasn't the, the ash the arrow was cover. in her. Yes, in his his big yellow eye. The front cover is. Literally, the wolf getting getting shot. So, a um, mm-hmm. little visual for you. And she decides, hey, I'm deep in the forest. It's only me. Just a young girl of 19. I can only carry one of these home. So, I'm going to pick the deer. and But I'm going to skin the wolf so I can have its pelt um, for later use. And one key thing to note at the very end of the chapter is she says she feels... I wish I had it in me to feel remorse for the dead thing. Yeah. Which is important for later on in the story. Because right now she has no remorse. Well, she doesn't. And she actively said, you know, if she has this whole inner dialogue for, through the chapter where she's like, oh, well, could this be a, a wolf or it is it a fairy? I think it's pretty, yeah. it's a wolf. It looks like an animal. And also like... Even if it was a fairy, fuck them, because they would kill me too. So mm-hmm. she very much has her like internal turmoil of, should I, shouldn't I? It is kill or be killed. And that's just something important to know. And most people don't think about it, but when it is you versus a predator, as she likes to say often, yeah. uh, really you can't have... I don't know ethics or morals you have to go how do well, i it survive it's, it's and survival it's kill or be killed it's that is mm-hmm. at the basics of human nature yeah and she's a human mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very true she's just out here trying to feed her family we learned she has two older sisters mm. and you started to question why the fuck is the youngest one in the woods i question that every there are you find out why you find out why no yes you do you do but i still think it's stupid I'm just, we'll come back to that. I have some energy okay. around it. You're, some energy. Okay. Can't wait. Um, we know that she, she alludes that, uh, I couldn't remember the last time I'd done it, bothered to notice anything lovely or interesting. So basically she's very much in the survival mode of, I am just trying to, to get by and live. Um, yeah. 
we know that she's been putting herself in these situations, i.e. hunting, for the past eight years. Um, and so she's, it's not like she's a newbie. She's learned a lot. She's been doing this for a minute. Um, and that when she does take down the wolf, she notices that he didn't try to dodge the arrow as it went clean through his wide yellow eye. So. That's, those are facts. Yeah. He collapsed to the ground and he died. Ugh. So that, those are my main points to pull out. Just factually based, but. All real. Yeah. We can move on. You ready for chapter two? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you want me to tell you my my summary, and then we can dive in from the beginning. Yeah, you tell me your summary, I'll tell you mine. It's a one-liner. Well, you tell me yours first. Oh, overall, it's just a one-liner. It says, sets the stage for her bitch-ass family. <laughs> <laughs> See, my first one was not a one. Okay, yeah, yours are going to be way better. And then I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, that's what, those are my very just true feelings. Okay, here's what I wrote. Favor brings the doe and wolf skin <laughs> Polar opposite description. <laughs> Favor brings the doe and wolf skin back to their sad cottage, mm. where we meet her crippled father and two older sisters, mm -hmm. Elaine and Nesta. Mm -hmm. Elaine is oblivious. Nesta's entitled and rude. None of them help with the kill. They don't help with jack shit. They literally don't help her at all. We discover their mother, a host, like a partier, like a she likes to host parties rather than a nurturer. A society woman. <laughs> <laughs> That their mother died before um, they lost their wealth. So the reason they're in this cottage is because they've become poor. And uh, we... She... A, a good summary of that. Her father was the businessman. This is old-timey where the, the man mm. is the breadwinner and the, the lady stays at home and cares for the house and the kids. And uh, he made a gamble mm -hmm. that he lost on yeah. to which he lost all his money and owed a lot of bad people a lot of money because he was rolling too high got too cocky tried to cut some corners yeah well he just really just made a big risk but we don't find out what that risk is until later yeah it's a gamble um and when their mother passed she asked <laughs> yours is so short mine is so long I'm like, when mother... reading them back I'm like what the fuck when her mother passed, she asked Feyre to make a vow to stay together and look after the family. So she, the mother asked the youngest daughter, who was, what, six, eight, eight years old at the time? Eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, in, that, I mean, like, I have these questions. And then Feyre likes to paint. She mentions that. But she has little time or resources to do so. She's the only one that stands up to Nesta. Just randomly wrote that down. And it's the first mention of Favor being attached to Knight. Mm. Yes. Which is a uh, little droplet for later. It is. Um, but, my synopsis of them, her family was, she's got a negligent and mentally shut down father, a bitch <laughs> face for a sister, and then this whiny-ass pretty girl with no real brains who's just happened to be super nice. That's obviously Elaine. Mm -hmm. And that makes everything okay in her mind. Yeah. Um, to me, that's insane. I also wrote, why is the baby of the family forced to step all the way up? Like, all, like, all of it. She yeah. has to... She has to fend for them. She has to get them money. Well, it's she not even like she like, brings home, like in a normal house, like, oh, you bring home 
the dough and then the the wife kills it like in a very traditional standpoint she's killing it she's cleaning it she's cooking it she's doing the goddamn dishes she's even making the house pretty by painting it oh my god and she's all she's doing is asking her sister to cut some freaking firewood and she's like "Uh, no your dirty rough hands are good for that and i'm just like yo you literally hate nesta from the moment you meet her because she okay uh, second or third or something point was why are her sisters such entitled bitches it also notes in chapter two that they they were all really educated except for Pharaoh because she was so young when her, their mother died and lost all their money, mm-hmm. which the money left after her mom died. So her mom never had experience that loss. Um, just her life, don't worry. Uh, but her uh, her sisters were educated in like a very real school. Yep. So it was like, at the very least, why didn't they not teach Pharaoh? Which I don't know if they you chose picked up on this. To. They literally chose not yeah. to. You find out that in like chapter 14 or something. They, like, they chose not to. No, no, no. She's good. She doesn't need to learn stuff. Yeah. She's and fine. it's like the way, again, a way the. And then you mock her for not being educated. Oh my God. And the way that they. Go fuck yourself. Exactly. The way they portray Elaine, she just seems like literally a ditzy, dumb yeah. bimbo who's just super pretty and nice and it so says, sweet. Eight years of poverty hadn't stripped her from the desire to look lovely. In description of Elaine. I mean, cool. At least you still care about how you look, if nothing else. Yeah. But, like, she didn't... Obviously, that bitch didn't retain any of her education. So, like, can you can you share? Can you pass someone on? I'm obviously... I'm just very upset. Her, their father doesn't do jack shit. He's just a sad, whining old man, like, just gave up. Yeah. Um, well, she describes... She says... It's all dumb. Nesta, who had been born with a sneer on her face, which basically is a perfect description of Nesta. Mm. Elaine sometimes just didn't grasp thing. It wasn't grasps. 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 This is why we should do our vocal things. exercises. <sighs> it wouldn't make me better. Uh, do it with me. Uh, Tongue all the way out. Uh, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it loosens up um, her jaw. It wasn't meanness that kept her from offering to help. It simply never occurred to her that she might be capable of getting her hands dirty. She, yeah. Entitled bitches. Yeah. I um, ended with God, lowercase g. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically Nesta, Elaine, the father sort of knows and he just sort of is like, well, if she's going to do it, I guess I'll let her. Well, it's also one of those, you see it a lot, um... I, I mean, I guess I see it a lot in, kind of in throughout history, even in real life, men are the most suicidal when they face some sort of shame, heavy shame, and it not tends being to be more the, financial. Yeah, when they're no longer the breadwinner. Yeah, so yeah. realistically, he probably was just like shrouded in shame and dismay, and his only option was to like give up, but he tried a little when he did these like, I guess he was kind of artsy too, so he did these little wood carvings. Which, his wood carvings were he traded for stuff or whatever. But, like, why can't he chop wood then? He's got, he's a cripple. I know. It's his fine. little knee is smashed. It's in there. I know. It's just dumb. Well, I have it. So that leads me to a question, though. So during the time her father barely tried to contribute by his weird little carving, wood carvings, uh, he traded one of them to some hobo man passing along the street. It was like a person that. Yeah, that painted the, like, the little things on the, what do you call them? On the, that they painted on the building? 
wards. Wards. With like the wards and stuff, it's good to note that the mortals think uh, that wards like that and an iron specifically can help keep them safe from the fae. So like they have all these things that they use folklore kind of things that are like, oh, well, if I have an iron bracelet on, a fae is not going to fuck with me. And it's like... on Yeah, on that okay. note, just know they call them high fae, and then there's fairies. And I just realized, literally after reading all of these series, high fae is just short for high fairy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kid you not, I had that epiphany last night. I was like, wow. Um, wow. Yeah, no, that's that's a good distinction. There are just like in the human mortal realm, there are there's a class system of rich people and poor people, and in the fairy realm, there's the same thing, and it's not necessarily divided by money, even though the high fae do have more money. It's divided into these class ranks of different types of fairies. So like, some fairies have very particular sets of skills, and they're considered like lower class. Whereas, like, high fae are later described in the book as, we exist, we're born to rule. And that's literally the perception they have of themselves, is that they're just there to be in charge. Yeah. But, um, The majority of them. I think that's good to know. Yeah. Oh, we're still on chapter two. We are. We got a little... That's okay. There's a lot of explaining to do. Um, other things I noted, like, in with the family dynamic, like you mentioned... Just with Nesta and Elaine, Nesta obviously does a good job of putting Feyre down, where Elaine just tries to, like, keep the peace, and she doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> she really just seems like a... Yeah, she's just like, I'm hungry and I want a new cloak. Like, just a pretty okay. idiot. Yeah. But Nesta, like, consistently puts Feyre down and, like, tries to break her confidence and, like... I don't know. Like, she's just a bully. She really is. And, like, something I highlighted that she said was, can't you at least try to pretend that you're not an ignorant peasant? Right. Except her father, and they all come from the same family, yeah. literally put them in that position, and she ate it in it. So, fuck off, Nessa. Yeah. And it's like, Ugh. Nessa, you wouldn't get to eat if Farrah didn't feed you. Also, she's ignorant in the education sense because you chose not to educate her you chose not to help her learn not only that yeah actively pulled her out of i've never noticed this fact before they actually pulled her out of the school because they thought it was beneath them yeah even though they're poor as fuck and live in a tiny ass one bedroom cottage on the outskirts of town yeah like speaking of the one bedroom though give me a break they have an iron wood bed they do. Which is the sole remnant of their former wealth. It had been ordered as a wedding gift from their dad to their mother. And this is the creepy part. It was the born in which they were born in. It's also the bed in which their mother died. And I'm just like, too much has happened. In that bed? Too it's... much has happened in that bed. It's got to be saturated. It's just... And you know they can't change the sheets often. Do they even have sheets? See, in my mind, it's just a raw mattress. <laughs> oh. Sounds disgusting. I just but can't. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that sounds icky. Um, but that's also when she's describing, obviously, like, she's giving descriptions of the house, and that's when she describes how the three sisters share a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the father sleeps on, like, a cot or something. Um, but that's when she describes their sagging dresser. 
and the different things she painted. So each one of them have a drawer. Elaine's drawer has violets and roses. Um, Nesta's drawer has crackling flames. And for Feyre's drawer, she painted the night sky, which is the first mention of her being tied to night in any capacity. It comes back later why it she does. does that. Absolutely But it's just it good to point out. It's great to point out. I love that you did that. Also, um, she paints other, she, she's painted other things around the house. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want you to note as a listener. She paints her house. It makes sense when she's poor as hell. She's, she's got no money. I mean, can barely afford paints because her family takes all her other money. <laughs> What's well, like a luxury. Yeah. So she uses the world around her. To be a canvas. She yeah. paints the world as, um, I think maybe LeVar Burton said that. I don't know. Yeah. Reading Rainbow. Uh, either way. Just I, just let's come back to that. I want to say either at the end of this book or the next book, someone just remind me, please. You mean like she when you say she paints the world, she paints the things she sees? No, she physically paints the things in her house because she yes. doesn't have paper or canvas. We can come back to that because yes. it happens more than once. I know, I really made a whole note about it, because <laughs> the more I thought about it, I was like, what And when hell? we say that, like, she's painting the table, she's painted their dresser, she paints, like, the fireplace, like, all in their cottage, mm-hmm. like, she's just painting yes, she's things. painting. Like, it's like what you would do as, like, a kid. Yeah, but in And this, it's not like you're like, ooh, I want a blue dresser, so I'm going to DIY this. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to paint... A vine of flowers up the side. And you're like, that's cute if I'm like eight. Though she is really young. I mean, she like had to Maybe she's up. stuck at eight mentality because of trauma. She had to grow up trauma. at a young age. Trauma. Yeah. That's true. What is it? You stop maturing at the age in which the trauma occurs? I think it's situational. However, I did learn this other fact. I wrote it down somewhere. And I think I was going to tie it in later. But it also really works out with Nesta and knowing that her mom died when she was really young. I just learned in therapy the other day uh-huh. that the mother provides self-esteem okay. and the father provides self-confidence. That is their like main roles, like textbook-wise, for the child. Okay. So it's just interesting, and I'm going to keep coming back to that after, hey, after I've heard that. I was like, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, after that, I then was like, oh, well, now I have a lot of more insight into how and why she's behaving the way she's behaving. Yeah. She ain't got none of either. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel her on that. And it, was, it, it honestly made me identify with her more after you were like, oh, my God, you're Farah, And I'm other old girl. I can't remember her name. Uh, I thought we said you were Thera. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh. I'm talking about me and your other one. Um, in a different series. Yeah. And then I was F- marginally like, why? And then I was like, wait, I do like her. And oh my God, maybe we are the same person. Huh. We're not, but you know. Um, Continue, sorry. No, that's a good point. You got to dig into people's past to figure out why they are the way they are now. Mm. Um, other things I noted is that we... We learn why, in a sense, why Feyre as the youngest child is from, obviously, like, we touched on the dad not being able to step up and take care of the family. So why did the youngest daughter of the three end up taking care? Well, we find out that she made this vow to their dying mother that she would stay together and look after them. 
And she, Feyre constantly comes back to this vow, like, over and over again about how, like, you know, a promise is law, a promise was currency, a promise was your bond. So, like, that was, like, she's like, this is all I have is this promise. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. I, she does say it, and still in my mind, no matter what, I just go, but why? Why would a mother? But she even asked that. She yeah, even and, asked that. She's like, "Why did she ask me? Maybe she logic, knew." Her, right, but even then, that doesn't. In my mind, her mom should be like, "No, Nessa's the oldest, and she needs to like step it the fuck up." But then she says, Feyre says, "I sometimes wondered if Nesta's unrelenting steel would have helped us better survive, thrive, even if she hadn't been so preoccupied with our lost status." Again, get over it like everyone has to be you know what this family has yeah. zero aq do you want to tell people what that means yeah uh, their adaptability quotient which means the amount or level of um adaptability they have emotionally and perceptively i would think almost well, to but be mostly able to, emotionally. to change with the changing situation to adapt Correct. to a new environment yeah yeah but, like, Feyre has high AQ. Super high AQ. Because she's, she's able to be like, okay, fuck. we literally can't eat because dad's wood carvings aren't doing well. Like, he's a starving <laughs> artist. This isn't taking off anytime soon. Yeah. We need some meat on this table. I'm going to go well, kill some. And, and, like, no vegans in this house. Yeah, but it's, like, what frustrates me even more is that, like, obviously, like, Feyre's uh, escape or creative outlet is her painting right Mm -hmm. and she mentions that elaine loves to garden why the fuck isn't she buying this bitch seeds that they can eat she's like oh i bought her flower seeds bought her flowers i literally was like yo grow a fucking tomato i'm so sorry grow a dang tomato you don't have to yell at me i don't have to yell or curse and yet i've done both (laughs) (laughs) um also in chapter two this is just really digging in, because why not? This is great. This gives me more talking points, because mine were. Um, Nessa were talks about how she's going to get married. And so, mm. like, basically, this ties into how Feyre's vow of stay together and look after them. Feyre interprets that vow as, I need to get Nesta and Elaine married off so that I can just take care of dear old dad and hang out on my lonesome and paint. That's her. And I'll come back to that later, because I have some issues with that. It's her dream to just marry off her sisters, mm. paint her little pictures, have enough money for some paint, and just yeah, and and live with her her crippled, yeah, and widowed father. But I love this. Is he a widow? The, the widower. His yeah. widower father. The reason her. I wrote Elaine, or sorry, the reason I wrote Feyre is the only reason, or is the only one that will stand up to Nesta, and that's because when Nesta's talking about how she's gonna get married to this guy. And, of course, like, Feyre wants to get her married off, but also it's not like she's going to marry her off to anyone. She's like, I want to make sure you go to someone good. Like, she's at least nice about it. She says, you can't chop wood for us, but you want to marry a woodcutter's son. (laughs) And I'm like, burn. Savage. But it's true. She's got some moments where she's like, "Mm, are you dumb? She's the only one that's wanting, like, she wants the best for her sisters, but she still has this underlying goal of, like, I need to get them to good homes where I don't have to take care of them anymore and I can just focus on myself. Yeah, which is also still, it's still so interesting. And if any psychologist happened to be bored enough to listen to this podcast, 
Um, if you could tell us why psychologically the youngest child would have that kind of complex about their her older sisters. I mean, they're much older. Like, Nesta has to be in her mid-20s. Um, uh, Nesta's three years older than her. No way. Yeah, I highlighted it. That's it? Um, I took my time swallowing the words I wanted to bark at her. Older than me by three years, she somehow looked younger than I did. But I'm sorry, how did this, their mother, no wonder she died. This bitch had three babies in three years? I don't even, I mean, I guess it is technically possible. It just sounds horrific. I am so sorry for her. Um, also, if you have a disposition to misogyny, antiquated views on traditional marriage or whatever, you're going to be triggered by the fact that, you know, women have to marry men for money. Well, that's just how it is. <laughs> it's just how it is in this world. What, what is it in Little Women? I have no money and no prospects. Not little I'm, women. That's I'm, Pride and Prejudice. No, 27. it's little women. No, it's not. I'm. This is one I'd put money on. It's little women. The sister goes, I'm only 27. I have no money and no prospects. And I'm already burdened to my parents? Yeah. But they this made is one it. moment. Do we want to make a bet on this one? Because I will. Okay, I'm referring not to the book, to the movie. It, you're just thinking of the wrong movie. It's Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley, and it's her. I mean, I can pull up the scene right. But I can't I'm we're recording. Okay, will, then we're both right. I will put money on it. No, then we're both right because in Little Women, the new one with Timothy Chalamet, she says the exact same thing to him. Why would the writer write the same line? I'm just telling you, we're both right. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm asking because I'm angry. I don't want to know who wrote that. Maybe because it's a good line. Because on my 27th birthday, I posted it on my story because someone Didn't wrote Jane it on a cake. Did they say Little Women said it? No, it's in the movie. I this We're going to have to look we're this up later because both of our phones are in use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll come back um, to them. But back in line. Back in line with chapter two. Um, the only good thing that the, the dad does at this point in this whole chapter is like... Obviously, Nesta and Elaine, they storm off. We're in love. We're going to get married, blah, blah, blah. Elaine doesn't know what to do, so they just leave. And um, Pharaoh goes, love won't feed a hungry belly, which is true. But when they leave, the dad jumps in, and Pharaoh's like, Dad, why can't you, like, get involved? She said you know? something so and amazing. She, and then the dad goes, yes. um... Well, Pharaoh's talking about how it can't be love, not on his part. He only wants her for one thing, and it's not her hand in marriage. Blah, blah, blah. Talking about what's between hope and eggs. But the dad says, we need hope as much as we need bread and meat. So it's like Pharaoh's providing the bread and meat for their bellies. But it's like hope does have a really important factor in like survival and life. And... He says, so let her keep this hope, Pharaoh. Let her imagine a better life, a better world. Mm. And then Pharaoh says, there is no such thing. So it just really paints, like, how survival she really is. I mean, like, she's hard. She's hard as fuck. She's yeah. angry yeah. with every right to be. Yeah. Also, another thing that bothers me about, and I, I just don't understand this, Nesta is so protective over Elaine. Like, they, she really draws the, the dynamics of the family Pharaoh's on the outside, but somehow the, the family protector and provider, Nesta is like somehow strong, but also the eldest, but only really cares about Elaine, and Elaine is just 
in space cadet mode somewhere doing whatever the fuck she does. Being pretty and looking at flowers and shit. So I just don't understand because normally people are, I would think, tend to be more protective of the youngest. And the middle child tends to, you know, be traumatized by being the middle and so they act out. And like, it just, okay. it's a weird, it's its interesting. And I, there is never any real explanation. I Does don't Does Sarah recall. come from a family of kids? I don't know. Like maybe she didn't have siblings so she doesn't know that dynamic from a personal standpoint. She's just making up what she thinks would work. I don't know. I don't know. It is good to note that she studied creative writing and theology. She minored in theology or yeah. like religious studies. Yeah. Which in and of itself is, um, it's good to note. Well, she ties religion into all of them. Into all of them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's chapter two. Um, also, is I, I do feel as though some of these chapters, it's good to note that, again, chapter one through like 19, crazy slow. Yeah. Very slow build. You will be like, this story is probably never going to continue and it's going to end with me soon. I promise you keep going. It is absolutely more than worth it. Yeah. It's more than well, worth it. the more... Digging in through it, like, from this perspective of I'm going to talk about it, I notice a lot more base knowledge, mm. like, overarching knowledge that literally comes into play in, like, later books. Not even at the end of this book. It's, like, she's setting up just, like, general seeds and loops that don't even come to fruition until books two, three, four, five. Yeah. So there's a lot to pull out of it, which is why even though they are really slow, we can spend this long talking about them. It's true. Um, It's great that you've done so much work because I've done so little. Um, Because also I got really, I got, I get bored during these, honestly. Um, I'm going to, I've mostly posed questions. I'm going to hope maybe you can answer them. Okay, I'll do my best. Wait, is this for chapter three? This is for chapter three, yeah. If we feel good about moving on. Will you, do you have a one-line summary for this one? Um, kind of. It's, it's okay. kind of boring. <laughs> My summary is, we see the small village that they live in or around. We learn about iron. We learn about, uh, we learn from the Merc, short for mercenary, mm-hmm. about possible issues with um, fairies crossing the wall. Correct. And yep. then we meet, but I spelled it M-E-A-T with a winky face, the beast. Um, that was my summation of the chapter. <laughs> I say meat because, you know, mm. anger beasts or mm. they eat, eat stuff. But we okay. meet as in we, M-E-E-T. <laughs> um, no, that's a pretty... Chapter three, not a ton of stuff happens. They do, they go into the market to sell the pelts. So they decide that the deer skin and the wolf skin, they're going to sell in the market to get money. Yes, hold please though, because I feel like there's something important actually to note um, that I f- do believe is in chapter two, but I just forgot about it. Tell me if I'm wrong. Don't we learn about Isaac? We learn about this dude that Pharaoh's banging Isaac. Um, his name is Isaac. And Pharaoh makes some like jerk remark, like, oh, she, she wants to get married. She's not just banging some boy in the barn who's engaged now to another girl. Um, and the only reason I say that it's like, yeah, it's, it's, that does happen. One considerable just to remember, but note in chapter three, he, they actually have some sort of thing, um, you know, from across the way where he sees her and like she dips out from her family at the end of it and she goes to hook up with him in the barn. 
Well, that's at the end of chapter three. Yes. Yeah. That was part of my synopsis. She goes to hook up with Isaac at the end of chapter yeah. three. But, but Isaac, Isaac is just a guy that... She talks about him later. Yeah. So we can talk about him in a future chapter. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah. But Nessa does open that loop in chapter two where she says, I heard... I heard them saying how Isaac is going to marry some Greenfield village girl for a handsome dowry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all but, about the Benjamins, you know? Yeah, so they they go, chapter three, nice. they go in, they're going to sell the pelts, and Elaine and Nesta follow her into town with the selling of the pelts because they're hoping they can get some money so they can buy some shit they want, which just alludes again to I how little need. they do. Well, Nessa's like, I need new boots. And Farrah's like, my boots are, li- your boots are brand new and my boots are literally falling apart. And I'm the one actually walking around doing shit for this family. Yeah. Um, but not, that's neither here nor there. Um, on their way to the market, they do run into a group called the Children of the Blessed, who are this like fanatical group of people that still worship the High Fae as like, um, gods so to speak so obviously like with the mortal realm and the fairy realm being divided in two by this wall the reason the wall was built was because of a treaty that was signed what 500 years ago after a really big war between this is my question six mortal queens and the high fae the six mortal it took six mortal queens for the treaty to be made not six at the same time Oh, I did not Uh get that. Are you sure? Uh Uh-huh. Now there are six mortal queens. I think in uh, respect for how many queens it took for the treaty to be finalized. We can, I can find it and read it to you. I would, I would like, yeah, someone to explain that to me because I definitely understood it wrong and that's why I was like, oh, well, why did it take, so that would make me even my question bigger because my question was, huh, I wonder why six mortal queens but also that's later we learn about the six mortal queens that are currently ruling. And so that's why in my mind they were somehow connected. But it wouldn't make sense if they were 500 years later. That's like 10 queens later. If, you know, some of them were getting killed off or something. like that. Yeah. Um, but the Children of the Blessed are this fanatical group that still worship the High Fae. Um, which basically like prior to the treaty being signed, the High Fae, many of them, not all of them, but many of them used human slaves um so the treaty basically gave humans their autonomy in a sense by giving them their own land where fairies are not allowed to be um and allowing them to you know sort of live not necessarily coexist but they live separately um and that's also like you mentioned when we find out about iron but um the Children of the Blessed basically try to, like, recruit all these people to be with them, and they're super aggressive in their approach, and the townspeople don't really like them, but it kind of comes up later, so I don't know. Maybe that's not such a great talking point. Um, no, that is a good talking point. But, like, um, they'll even, like, cross the wall, and people are like, oh, well, they never come back, and the townspeople are like, yeah, because they're being eaten, you dumbass, not because they're, like, being... They're, like, getting it on with the Fae and, like, marrying them or whatever. But again, she, we come back to that later. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. There's... I do feel like that storyline dies off. It does. So they go into town and uh, Feyre basically decides to sell the pelts to this mercenary who 
is a hire. She's basically like muscle for hire, and she's helps protect people against the Fae. Um, but they live in a really poor area, and so Fae is like, you're not gonna get like, you're not gonna get that. You're not gonna get that here. Like none of us have money. The mercenary basically warns her like. Obviously, you're hunting for this stuff. You need to be careful. There's been a lot more sightings of, like, fairies crossing the wall, even though they shouldn't be. Um, and then she is actually really nice to Farah and, like, overpays for the pelts, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, because, and I liked what she said. It's just a little, like, restore your faith in humanity kind of thing. She basically says she was overpaying by a lot, and Farah asked her why. And she shrugged and goes, someone once did the same for me and mine at a time when we needed it most. Figure it's time to repay what's due. I just thought it was really nice. It was. I do like, um, and I never put this together until right now, that uh, she's assessing the pelts. And, you know, she's like, oh, well, you weren't lying about the wolf's size. And literally says, doesn't seem like a fairy to me. And that's weird as a whole, I mean, I guess you could be like, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but, like, Farrah didn't give her any, like, idea that it could possibly be a fairy, so it was just interesting for her to note. Yeah. Um, aside from the mercenary, I, if you want to come back to the Six Mortal Queens part, I, I've got it for oh, you. Oh, thank God! It's on page 28. <sighs> um, oh my, I was on the wrong... Oh, it's where my tab was about the Six Mortal Queens. <laughs> Um, but like it's when the mercenary is talking about like warning her basically like yeah. you need to be careful and Farrah's like oh my god are they going to attack and it's like how the fuck would she know bitch like what do you mean and then they give us a little bit of backstory here and it says once long ago and for millennia before that we had been slaves yeah. uh, we had rebelled which is what the the war was about um, and it had been bloody and destructive and it took six oh. mortal queens crafting the treaty for the slaughter to seize on both sides. So I think that could be interpreted two ways. Either six mortal queens as in six lifespans because oh. it was 500 years. Maybe. So, or it could be like, because they do have six mortal queens at one time so it's like, maybe it really is. I don't know. That's that, I think that's just, I, that's why I think I questioned it. So maybe yeah. just, we don't know. Someone tell us. I yeah. want to know. We we literally don't know everything. We're speculating wildly. <laughs> Please get involved. Share your thoughts. Yeah. Um, cause I'm confused. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's pretty much what happens in in chapter three. Oh, we meet well, Isaac. You do all that. They go home. Everything's hunky dory. They got their money. They're chilling. Everything's cool. They ate some food. Oh. Second round, and well, then it ends on a big high note. She does, she does get laid, though. Yeah, so I said she can get that little yeah. head nod over to the barn. She's like, I'm hooking up with yeah. Isaac, eating venison Isaac is dinner. like her sneaky link. <laughs> and they just like, even <laughs> though they don't really link. like each other, but they just kind of use each other. Um, mm. But it's just like, for such a young person, I guess like she's had to grow up so fast that she has these like really intense descriptions. And she says, but... Um, he was relatively handsome, soft-spoken, and reserved, but with a sort of darkness running beneath it all that had drawn us together, which alludes to what is going to draw her to her future love, that shared understanding of how wretched our lives were and would always be. Yeah. 
well, it's called trauma bonding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's a trauma bond. Yeah. So, um, but what's the high note? What's the high note we end on, Malia? Well, they, they, you end on, um, you know, after all that thing, um, snow bursting into the room and a growling shape appearing in the doorway. <laughs> I've never processed this. A growling shape. It literally says, but there was a roar that half deafened me and my sisters screamed as snow burst into the room and an enormous growling shape appeared in the doorway. Gross. I'm opening another bottle of wine. Ow. Uh, We do drink wine in this, so. Um, So that's how it ends. It ends on this big, um, you know, everything, it's similar to how she writes. Everything is very slow, built up lots of detail, lots of, just high level, not even high level, just highly descriptive information from everything from like the way that people are dressed. She has an affinity. That's something really cool about Sarah that she does. We're on a first name basis, don't worry. Um, Is that she is very good at painting the picture visually. So you don't even have to be an extremely creative person to be able to imagine what she's seeing. Because she's in- incredibly good with her adjectives. Yeah, but it's part. not like George R. R. Martin where he takes four. That's who. Hi. Um, <laughs> that's who wrote Game of Thrones. If you don't know, but uh, like she doesn't take four pages to describe the sky, but like she is creatively descriptive in a way that that helps you sort of set. I definitely, I'm a visual learner, so it helps me set the scene. Honestly, I think this is a good place to stop for episode one. So yeah, chapter four is where she gets sort of thrust into this new world of, um, oh, new world. that was more on key than I thought it was going to be. Wow. Uh, not that I'm musically inclined to know, even know what key it's supposed to be in. Um, but yeah, I think that that sums us up for chapter one. We don't have a good sign off. Um, we'll make one up though as we go. I'm sure it'll happen naturally. Don't mind me just pouring more wine. Just put a little bookmark in it for now. Oh. I don't. <laughs> it, you know, there's something It's a real there. page turner. There's something there. I think we could work with that. Okay. But thanks for listening. Um, so glad you're here. Uh, of course, let us know your thoughts. If you have any hidden details that you've picked up in these 32 pages we've discussed <laughs> um, or not, uh, we would love to hear them. And we're all about the conspiracy theories, so... Yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. Next up, we're going to start at chapter four. With the growling shape. Oh, my God. The growling shape in the doorway. All right. Goodbye. Until next time. Uh, Put a bookmark in it.